Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 4.30 in the morning. A very special episode, isn't that right, Ben? Yep, you know it's special when Pat starts it out. Yes, sir. Anyways, this is going to be the first part, and probably it won't be a long series, but this is going to be our From the Archives series. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, me and Ben decided we were going to create a podcast, and we did one recording <laughs> before we had, to, we had to shut it down for a little bit, but that recording survived. And that is on the topic of Bob Lazar. Isn't that right, Ben? That is right. And, you know, this 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 episode is actually probably the best episode we ever did, which is really funny. Yeah. And this, was, this wasn't even 4.30 in the morning at the time. It was a different show completely. Right. But you guys are going to hear about that in the in the actual recording on the show. And it, it's, it's kind of a similar concept of it's, this show. It's a very similar presentation style, I guess. Now, the biggest thing with this one, and we're sharing it with you guys mostly because we think it's funny. It's decent. It's decent content. The problem is the audio quality is terrible. Yes, that is true. Because we recorded it in my living room on a laptop, <laughs> and we were a little, a couple beers past buzz, I think. Oh, we were, yeah, we were, we were, we were pretty toasted. <laughs> yeah, but this is going to be the Bob Lazar discussion. This is going to be the the original Bob Lazar discussion. You guys are going to have to tune in because there's going to be another episode coming out, hopefully early this week. That's going to be the official Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar episode thirty. Episode thirty. Because you know we feel like this is like a pretty big milestone. Episode thirty. So we decided to go with a topic that we really like. A guy that we really find interesting at the very least. And I think we've mentioned Bob Lazar a couple times in past episodes. We've mentioned him several times yeah. in the Alien episodes and then in a couple other episodes. His name just keeps popping up. Right. Uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. He definitely and is. This is a lot, of, a lot of twists and turns in the Bob Lazar story. Yeah, so if you guys want to hear some rough audio that is funny, this is going to be a completely unedited track. We hit the record button, we didn't do a goddamn thing with it, and then we stopped it. <laughs> so that's going to be what you're going to be guys really listening to on the rest of this track. So if you guys are interested in this, please check it out. It's pretty funny if you can deal with the bad audio quality. And then we're going to have a real episode up in the next day or two. So Yeah, guys, check it all out. You'll love it. Anyways, here is, from the archives, the Bob Lazar tapes. Enjoy. Peace. <laughs> Check. Well, we don't need a check. We're good. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of The Thought Process. Today is Sunday, August 11th, I think. (laughs) We got to restart. I can't remember the fucking date. All right, we'll we'll just cut it. Cut. All right, take two. Ready on Ben's cue. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of The Thought Process. Today is Sunday, August 11th, 2019, and uh, we're going to be getting into uh, some pretty good stuff today, I bet. Yep, I'm, I'm excited. Are you excited, Ben? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited, and uh, I hope you guys are excited, too. Um, just a quick uh, rundown of what our show is going to uh, to be about. Uh, Pat, why don't you give us a little rundown here? Um, are we talking about the channel, or are we talking about the show, this episode? The channel. Okay. Well, <laughs> we, we call ourselves a thought process, and what we're interested in doing is um, analyzing kind of the inner workings of the thoughts that go into people, like what they decide to do when it comes to like big events like politics or news related stories or whatever we're trying to get we're trying to get the why behind decisions that people make um 
stories that come out. We're trying to just kind of figure out the thought process behind a lot of that. Yeah, we'll we'll be going over, you know, uh, the latest news stories, politics, conspiracy theories, you know. Uh, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of good stuff. I guess the thing is, I mean, we get bombarded with so much, especially with social media these days. We get thrown so much information at us all day, every day on Facebook or on the TV or whatever the hell you use for your news source. We're trying to not really teach you stuff as much as we are teaching you how to think or giving you tools to think beyond what you're shown because you're going to find that you're not really shown the full story on a lot of things. So we're going to, we're going to be covering all sorts of different topics, but we're trying to keep that mindset as to the thought process behind what's really going on. That's the point of this channel. Right. So today for our first episode, we are going to get into uh, a guy named Bob Lazar and he's, uh, he's had a pretty uh, interesting life and, uh, lot of uh, interesting claims here. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, to start off, we're going to uh, start off with a brief introduction on who Bob Lazar is. So, to get us kicked off here, in May 1989, Lazar appeared in an interview with investigative reporter George Knapp on the Las Vegas TV station KLAS under the pseudonym Dennis with his face hidden to conceal his identity. In this interview, he discusses his employment at S-4, which he claims is a facility near U.S. Air Force Base Area 51 at Groom Lake. Which, I'm just going to add in real quick. Excuse me. Of course. But at this point, Area 51 wasn't recognized by the military as an actual base. Yes. There really wasn't a whole lot. I mean, there were some conspiracy, like deep grassroots conspiracy theories about some stuff that was seen around there. But before this thing breaks in 1989, Area 51 was not, it wasn't the common household topic that it basically is today. Yeah, and in, and in fact, Area 51 wasn't even declassified until 2013. Well, declassified is a strong word. Um, it wasn't even made made public knowledge, I guess. Officially recognized, I think is the... Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah we'll go with that phrase. Okay. Sorry. No, you're, you're completely fine. He claims this facility concealed hangars built into the mountainside and houses alien aircraft. Lazar says that his job was to help with the reverse engineering of one of nine flying saucers. In later interviews, he reveals his identity and gives more information about his past, claims, S-4, and class other classified government secrets about extraterrestrials that would spark controversy around the world. We have a physicist, scientist, pyrotechnician, business owner, and arrested and charged with abetting in a prostitution ring. Let's take a look at the bizarre life of Bob Lazar. Yeah. Yes, I use the word bizarre there, because it rhymes with Lazar. As we we started researching this, we were just kind of interested in, mostly we were interested in the claims and, I mean, because the whole alien conspiracy theory, it, it's it's constantly talked about. And obviously, I wouldn't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but I don't know if you consider yourself a conspiracy theorist. Uh, no, I just think some of these are really interesting. Yeah, it's, they're, it's fun really, to they're fun to talk they're about. They're fun to talk about. They're fun to research. But when we got into researching this, it's like, holy, holy hell, there's a lot. There's a lot going on with this guy. And for those of you who don't know, he's still alive. He's only 60 years old today. So this guy is still out there. He was only born in 1959. So yeah. he's still out there and very much, um, he's not really in the public eye, but he's been doing a lot more recently. Yeah, recently. Uh, he, he He's definitely been uh, in the, 
what's funny is he's he, he doesn't really like talking about this stuff. Yeah. And we'll get into that later on why he doesn't like really talking about this stuff. But, you know, quickly here, we're going to have, we're going to get into a short biography on, you know, on Bob Lazar. So, <clears throat> Robert Scott Lazar was born in 1959 in Coral Gables, Florida. His parents were mother Phyllis Berliner and father Albert Lazar. Important details. Yes. As a young teenager, he demonstrated his knack for physics and electronics. He would put jet engines on his bicycles and later on putting jet engines in his cars. According to the documentary Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers, Lazar built a particle accelerator in his bedroom so he could produce chemicals for his hydrogen-powered Corvette. Which, let me just stop you right there. That... That's <laughs> this this a particle guy, accelerator in his bedroom. Now, I don't do even we, know. I don't even know when the hell that is. Do we? Do we? Can we verify that, or is that just a story? I mean, I didn't see anything that could verify um, that in my research. You know, because that's that's immediately it's just like what the hell? A particle accelerator in his bedroom. I mean, he was in. Wasn't he in the paper? He wasn't that. He wasn't that. We'll get into that. And there are, and you can find pictures of his jet yeah. engines on his bicycles and stuff like that. We can verify some of that, of that, but the particle accelerator, and you know, that's just everything revolving this guy's life is really up there's for there's a lot. And it's pretty much all up for debate. <laughs> yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, the, the the stuff that we know about, even the stuff that we know about, is pretty much up pretty for pretty hilarious. But it's it's hilarious, is what it is. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. So go ahead, man. Sorry, <laughs> you're you're completely fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bob attended W. Tresper Clark High School in Westbury, Long Island, New York, and graduated in 1976. Now, with information given by Stanton Friedman, who was a ufologist and a huge critic of he just Lazar, died. He just died like this year. Did he? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, he states that Lazar graduated in August, not June of 76, which suggests that he had to take a summer course to even get enough credits to graduate. He ranked 261 out of 369, which is the bottom third of his class. How do you feel about that? So this is this is all from Stanton Friedman's research on Bob. This isn't coming. Well, he uh, Friedman says that he got this directly from the school. Itself. From the school itself. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good source. We don't when when we, when we listen to his interviews, Bob's interviews, we don't really hear him talk about his early no, life he, much he at all. He doesn't talk about his early life. That so much. we don't really have anything from him on record as to. I couldn't find anywhere where he went to grade school. There well, is absolutely we don't we, we don't care about grade no, school. No, we don't, but for the biography. Yeah, there I, I think we need to start at high school for the relevant information. So we have him at what, two sixty one out of three sixty nine? Yeah. Something like that. I think I had that down somewhere. And what yeah. is interesting, given his high school performance, the claims Lazar makes on where he went to college, they don't really add up and are they're pretty spotty. Next, Pat is going to give us a timeline based on Lazar's claims about his higher education and alleged deployment. Okay, so we're going to leave off where Ben left, or start off where Ben left off. We have him graduating high school in 1976 in New York. So that would fit the timeline. He'd be about 17 at this point. Yeah. Um, so we're good there. Now we have him in doing this in New York. Um, that same year in 1976, supposedly his family moved... To the West Coast to California. Okay, we have him on record as attending a college called Pierce Junior College in 1976. So he graduated high school, family moved across the country, and he jumped into this. Um, I think we're good. 
He jumped into this Pierce Junior College. Mm. Sorry, we're having some te- technical difficulties, but <laughs> I think we have it under control. Great. Um, so we this is the only verified academic record that we have is him taking electronics courses at Pierce Junior College in 1976. Um, outside of that, we don't have anything. There's nothing solid. There's nothing solid as to his education. We have no records. Now, he's going to tell us where he went to school, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But we have no records of his higher education at all outside of Pierce Junior College. Um, in 1980, he gets married in California, so this would put him at 20, 21, 22, 21 at the time, because he was born in 1959. Um, Good thing I can do math. On his marriage registration form, they had him working at a Fairchild Industries, which um, we can verify is a real company. We can at least verify that the company exists. We don't really know if he worked there or not, because as we're going to find out, all his work records are spotty. At best, we can't really verify. He claims a lot of his. He claims a lot. He claims a lot, and he also claims that the majority of his history is erased. Yeah, we'll get into that. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Now, all of his little dealings in the 1980s are out of California or the West Coast, Nevada, um, New Mexico, a little bit. But it's all West Coast based. So we have to keep that in mind because in 1982, he claims he began working at Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is a very famous um, government run laboratory that was, it was involved in the, as far back as the Manhattan Project was where a lot of the research for that was done. So this is a high level government laboratory where a lot of experimental research is done. He claims that he started working there as a 23-year-old in 1982. Now, as far as the education is concerned, Pierce Pierce College is the only verifiable college that we have. How do you get into a facility like that with with just that? Exactly. That's it's tough to figure out because you know, the the big part about Los Alamos is of all his employers, this is the one that we're pretty we think he probably worked in some capacity there at some point. The reason being is also in 1982, um, one of the local Los Alamos area newspapers picked up, picked up an article on him um, where he was talking about one of the cars that he put a jet engine into. And they did an interview with him. They even had a picture of him in the paper. And it's definitely him when you look at the article. What is with this guy in jet engines? He loves his jet engines, I guess. Jesus. Um, he, I mean, you have to give him that. He likes blowing stuff up, and he likes... Uh, yeah, that's cool. He likes his jet engines. But we have an article about him in 1982. That's the only really major source we have that puts him in the Los Alamos area at that time. In the article, it says he was working at the laboratory, but that's all that we have. Now, during this time, was he living around there? Where, yes. where, did, he, where did he live? Um, there's records of him living in the Los Alamos. Okay. In that New Mexico-ish... I think it's in New Mexico... I probably have that somewhere. But we have him living there at the time. We can verify that because he was there for a while because in 1986, he declared bankruptcy in the area. Okay. After a whole lot of... um, He did a whole lot of business, took out a whole lot of business loans and whatnot in the area because supposedly he was also on the side running a photo processing business. Yeah. 
which I mean, this is where it starts to get complex because we have him working at Los Alamos, putting jet engines in his car and doing this photo processing business. We can verify, we have financial records that verify him borrowing a lot of money at the time. And we also have him in 1986 going bankrupt for $300,000 with his occupation listing as a self-employed photo processor. Yeah, he so, just sounds like he's uh, he just dug himself a big hole there. But let's just think about this for a second. He claims he was working at Los Alamos, um, but he's listed his occupation as a photo processor. That's not a, something a physics physicist would do, is it? Mm, I mean, yeah, I mean, would a pyromaniac physicist be? I mean, what is this guy's thought process? Why would he? Why would you do that? I would feel, you know, uh, pretty good about working at Los Alamos. I'd put that. Anywhere, I could. But and why would? Why would he list? Why would he? Where does? None of it. None of it already. It's all his claims and what we have are not. They're just. They're just. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. You no, know, he could have worked at Los Alamos for a few years, busted out there for some reason, and then started up his photo processing business as something to do to make money. But beyond that, we. We were already starting to run into some questionable there's, whatever. And there's a lot more to come here. So because yeah. at the same time, in 1982, he claims that he graduated with a master's degree from MIT, which is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Okay, and I'll tell you what, guys. This is a very sophisticated school. This is one of the best. This is, this is I mean, most of you listeners probably are familiar with MIT. It is, I mean, it's the tippy top of physics and engineering, especially engineering in the world, let alone in the country. And to me, and, you know, the reason I said earlier that, you know, his education claims for college don't really add up because, you know, in my way of thinking, somebody that ends up in the bottom third of their class and goes to a junior, uh, college. A junior college, how is somebody like this getting into MIT? Getting into where... Where's the bridge getting drawn? Because we definitely know he went to Pierce Junior College. He'll even tell you that, that he took college, he took college classes there. Yeah, and as far as we know, there's no record of him living in Massachusetts. No, nothing. I mean, this is before online classes were a thing. Um, we're good. We're having, we're, we're still working out the, the kinks. The kinks of this podcast, so we're, anyways... Um, yeah, we have no record of him in Massachusetts. This is before online schools were around. Yeah, they're so yeah. Because this is the same year where he's verified in this news article as living in the Los Alamos area. So already we're starting to run into some problems. Um, when it comes to his undergraduate, he claims he got his undergraduate degree from a university called Pacifica University. In as far as we know, I'm, we don't even we don't even know if this place exists. It's I it's, mean, it's 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 totally off the map. It, it he lists it as a correspondence university, which is basically you're, you're writing in. Yeah, it's like over the something over the mail. It's like the precursor to an online school, I guess. But still, this is this is what he lists as undergraduate, and he also claims he took classes at Cal State Northridge, where they don't have any record of him there either. They do have records of a Bob Lazar. But it's not him taking class. So there's two Bob Lazars. Supposedly. This is getting really interesting. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, just don't even think about the other Bob Lazar. Yeah, Lazars. we're not going to worry about him. 
But so this we have his undergraduate at Pacific University. We have him getting a master's at MIT. MIT has no record of him being there. No students have come forward to verify his education. There are no classmates, no professors, no faculty members. No societies have ever had him listed on a alumni list or a, what, what's the word, alumni, I guess. Yeah. We have no, we have nothing from that can verify him ever, ever going to MIT. And he also has another master's degree. Yes, he also has a master's degree in elect, electronics technology or something like that. I had it down here somewhere. But from Caltech, which at least that's in the area, kind of. Yeah. This one, supposedly, he got in 1985. Now, what is the evidence that he went there? Um, we do have a few people who claim to have given him rides on occasion to the campus. But does the campus... Oh, Again, the campus... Does the university have they got any, no records. any records of anything? They have no records of him. See, that's, that's pretty shady. Again, no classmates can verify him being in class, no professors remember him or would ever talk about him or have any records or tests or anything to verify that this master's degree happened. We do have a couple of people that are like, oh yeah, we dropped him off at school back in the 85 is when they're saying. But this was also around the same time when he started borrowing a whole bunch of money in Los Alamos for his photo processing business. So somehow we got to fit two master's degrees into the myriad of claims that he has from 80 to 86. I mean, that that's a lot. There's, I just, you know, it depends how long, how long was he at Pierce Junior College? How long did it take? How long was he there? It doesn't appear to be very long because, according to him, he graduated college from the specific university in 78. So Pierce Junior College would have been a few college credits Cal State Northridge would have been a few classes, a few credits, and then finishing his degree in 78, which is at most two and a half years, which is possible. I mean, you can do that while at the same time working in Los Alamos. This, is and before, this, would, be, this would be before Los Alamos. Okay. So if when, all this went down. What year did he start working in Los Alamos again? Uh, we have him down at, at 1982. 1982. So he had a few years to get married and work at Fairchild Industries. That that's fair. And supposedly, unless he, unless, see, we don't, we don't have anything. We don't have any records of anything going down in 1981. So maybe he got married in California, worked at the Fairchild Industries in San Fernando Valley. Then in '81 went to Massachusetts, got his degree, had it all wiped, moved back to the Los Alamos National Laboratory area because he had a connection there or whatever. Got in there. I mean, see what's hard is there's no record of him graduating. There's no, there's from no record MIT, of him, so yeah. we can't tell when he got done. And with that, what's with a that dude class? from a university that we don't even think exists doing at MIT? How the hell does he get in the MIT? I mean, even his claims don't even make sense. Even his claims are already like what? Yeah, it just it just doesn't add up. And you know, to to get two master's degrees and an undergraduate in that amount of time is unparalleled. Well, it's not because he had eighty two to eighty five. I mean, you can do a master's in a year. Yeah, but he has two master's degrees and an undergraduate, and went to two other schools. Well, and then during some of that time, he's working, he's at, working Los Alamos. at Los Alamos and all these doing all those other shit. I um, mean, that that doesn't seem. 
I don't know. I don't think I could do that. No, and, they, and that's <laughs> tough to do. But it's tough to it's tough to fit all the pieces together. There's so exactly. many pieces that we have sitting on the table. And we're only in 1986. He doesn't even make his claims until 1989, and from 86 to 89 is kind of a there's not a whole lot we have no. about what was going on. There's not. According to his claims, in 1988 is when he started working at S4, which is the the division of Area 51, where he started working on the alien-related stuff. And we're going to get more into those claims here in a minute. Yeah. So, right right off the bat, we've got a lot of... A lot of good stuff coming here. We also got a lot of questions. So, basically, just to um, compare the facts to the claims. Um, so, basically, we know where he went to high school. We know he went to Pierce Junior College. We know he went to, he, he went to Pierce Junior College. We know he was married... And we know he worked at... We think he worked at Los Alamos. We think we learned he worked at Los Alamos. Now, the other piece of evidence that lends credit to that is that his name is listed on a phone directory. Some people have come out and tried to say that that was a list of contractors that were in the facility at one time and not necessarily employees. Mm. Um, we don't know for sure, but we have him down on a, in some phone registry. We have his name down around 1982 in Los Alamos. But beyond that, they will deny anything. Although we do have a couple of eyewitnesses that put him there as well, uh, whether or not they're credible or not. We have a, a few people that worked at Los Alamos that remembered seeing him around. Hmm. They didn't really know what he did. So that kind of helps his claim a little bit. But still, but still, I mean, that could be anybody just saying anything. We have to keep that in mind as well. So Sorry, pa beer pause. Yeah, we have beer, beer break. So... Um, now that we got the, the timeline kind of down on yeah. his, his education and prior work history to uh, S4, we're going to start getting into his claims on what he did and what he saw at S4. So first... Well, his, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Yeah, sure. So basically we know that his first major claim was that he was hired and worked at S4, at the S4 facility in the U.S. Air Force Base near Area 51, to reverse engineer alien spacecraft. Now, Pat, I don't know what you found, but Lazar didn't work here very long. He was there, what? Less than a year, Less 88 to 89 is the timeline we have. Do we have an exact date on when he... I mean, I, I read somewhere that it was like a couple weeks it was, that, he was, that he was there. He, he, he'd fly there <coughs> uh, between in the afternoon hours. And he'd be there until about 11, 12 p.m. and then fly back. Yeah, it sounded like it was a lot of, according to the documentary, he said there was a lot of on and off again. Like, he'd work for a few weeks, he'd stay on the base in the facility or whatever, and then he'd fly away for a few weeks, and they'd fly him back in for a few weeks. He said it was very, it was a very abnormal work schedule. schedule. Yes. And they'd call him in, even at his on base, they'd call him in at random times saying, hey, we need you in the lab in an hour. According to him, according to what he claims. So, let's start getting into uh, the claims on what he saw, what he worked on. So, Lazar claims that the propulsion of the studied vehicle was fueled by atomic element 115. Now, it's also, it's also called Muscovium, first synthesized in 2003. Lazar explained that e, E115 generates a gravity wave. According to Lazar, 
The extraterrestrial craft he worked on used a stable version of Element 115 to warp gravity around the craft and propel it forward. He told George Knapp during that first interview that this type of technology didn't exist at all. So far, scientists haven't been able to produce stable Element 115 isotope even close to what Lazar described. Lazar made these claims about Element 115 before it was created and assigned to the periodic table of elements. Which is interesting, I mean, but then again, anybody with even a remote conceptualization of chemistry and physics will be able to theoretically believe that there would be an element 115 eventually. Yeah. I mean, you, you could postulate its existence. Well, I'm pretty sure, I think I read somewhere that the Russians were actually the first to actually create it, but it was only there for like a split second. That was, and that was only in... Uh, 2003. So he was talking about it in 1989. Now we don't know much about this element because it's only been recently been synthesized. So we don't know if it could be a fuel source or whatever. There's so little that we really know about it. But if it already, it's that's it's, it's weird. But what's pretty compelling is that he was talking about it before. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's pretty interesting that it's, that part of it. It's interesting. I mean, I'll give him that. It's definitely interesting. Also, what's, this is really interesting. So Lazar claims that he read briefing documents that stated extraterrestrial beings have been involved with Earth for the past 10,000 years. These extraterrestrial beings are called great aliens from the planet orbiting the twin binary star system, Zeta Reticuli. Which is also the same star system that the aliens from Close Encounters of the Third Kind came from. Yeah, we're going to get into that later. <laughs> uh, what other um, whatever claims do you have, Pat? Those are pretty much the two... Two and three big claims that he that from what he saw um, while he was working. Well, he claimed that the government um, had nine, I believe. Yeah, he worked on one of nine. One part of one ship. And there were nine alien spacecraft in this facility. Um, he claimed that there were nine. He claimed that um, during his research, he was only given access to the, really to that. To that. The drive, the warp drive, or whatever the gravity drive was. Mm -hmm. And that was all he really worked on. And he said that um, his partner, what was his partner saying? Because he talked about him in the documentary. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. But there, he, had a, he had a partner there who, according to Bob, was there for a while and gave him, was kind of the, his most um, consistent source of information, I guess. So he had a lab partner that he was working with. According to Bob, he believes, and he doesn't know this for sure, but he postulates that his... The, this guy's previous partner, the guy that Bob replaced, died. Hmm. And died on an experiment on this reactor. That's According to Bob, uh, so supposedly they decided to try to cut it open or something. Well. With a laser. Well, what, what Bob says in, in uh, one of his interviews is that they were actually working on the spacecraft for at least a decade before he even got there. And... That they would, when they would bring him in, they wanted him to try and figure out what this element was. What he figured out was element one fifteen. Yeah. And um, I mean that that's pretty crazy. That they they well he, this is all claims obviously, but th that they had these spacecraft for one or two decades beforehand. That they've been working on this for a while. Now. Yeah, and it could be they could still be doing it today. We could be that Bob's lab partner could still be. Puttering around in that lab working on this. I mean, could be. if his claims are to be believed. Now, it does make sense, though, if you have technology that you can't understand, 
it makes sense to keep a rotating, keep just randomly throwing people at it. Yeah, for people sure. that have that think outside of the box, and we can. Bob's an outside of the box thinker. I mean, oh, everything yeah. he does is outside of the box. We're gonna get into some more of this later. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, there's obviously. A couple, go ahead. Obviously, we have a lot that doesn't help his credibility and his claims. There's there's so many unanswered questions about his history, his education, and where he worked, yada, 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 whatever. One thing we should add to his story before we move on is his um, exit from the, um, the facility was really interesting because he claimed to have a schedule of test flights of some of the craft that they did understand that they could at least operate. Mm-hmm. So, according to him, Wednesday nights was when the Air Force or whoever was in charge of this project. We don't know who was in charge of this project. He didn't even know. Even in his claims, he doesn't really know who was calling the shots. He just had one supervisor who would kind of give him directives. But he would um, go out and he'd watch the test flights on Wednesday nights. And at one point, he started bringing his friends out for the test sites. And he even has his own home videos of, I mean, it's a classic UFO with the dot flying around and flying through the sky and whatever. But he even has his own videos of these test flights. But eventually the military security caught on to him. And that's the reason why he got, he lost his job at Los Alamos was because he brought his friends out <laughs> to the test site. You know what? I feel like I would do that too. Yeah, but you guys want to see some UFOs? And there are, there are people out there that will verify this part of the story. Hey, you know, you grab your buds, grab a six pack and go watch some UFOs, so, man. Somehow, he at least knew where the test site was. He at least knew when to yeah. look for them. And he was supposedly at least able to catch a video. And we have people that will verify that story for him. Yeah. That, that's an interesting... I guess that kind of helps his credibility a little bit. But then again, he gets into... And this is where it starts to get really interesting. Because he gets into when he was brought back to the base after um, he got caught. He was pretty much debriefed a little bit. And they said that they had a, they had a bug on his phone... And they were bugging all his phone calls and listening in on all his phone calls, make sure he wasn't doing anything like this, even though he was. Mm. But they also told him at this time that his wife at the time was cheating on him. <laughs> and they found out through the phone call. So not only does he lose his job, but he finds out that <laughs> he finds out that his, <laughs> he found out his wife cheating was cheating on him. him. And they and they decided to tell him at this point, which is an interesting Maybe he was so struck from his wife cheating on him. Maybe he found out on his own and he just created this whole story because he was so upset. May I mean, <laughs> it makes more sense than some of the explanations that we have. Literally. So let's um, let's get into um, the very few uh, pieces of evidence that kind of help his credibility here. Uh, so there's really not a lot. There isn't. So like we said earlier... Um, what kind of helps his credibility is the government declassifying um, a lot of documents and um, pretty much Area 51, what it all is, and that it was a U.S. military-operated base. And uh, Because there were so many questions about it for years, and they finally declassified it in 2013. And um, I don't really know if this next little bit here helps his credibility or not but let's get into the hand scanner here oh so so the hand scanner is um a security device 
security device, which um, when he supposedly worked there, um, is it's a hand scanner used to measure bone lengths and confirm an individual's identity. And film maybe, filmmaker Jeremy uh, Corbell, who is a douchebag by the way, <laughs> Jeremy Corbell, <laughs> unearthed photographic evidence that. This this device was being used during the late '80s to secure access to top secret military development program sites that matched the description that Bob used. Now, so this was top. This would, according to Corbell, this was some. He dug deep on the internet and procured some recently declassified photos of this this hand scanner. Yeah, and um, you know, but Bob could have easily gotten this idea. From the movie in 1977, Close Encounters with Third Eye. Which, the exact, <laughs> the exact, the exact same picture thing. that's shown in the documentary <laughs> of this hand scanner is the exact photo, or the exact thing that they use in the movie Close Encounters with Third Time. And the funny part, too, is I saw an interview where they called Jeremy Corbell out on this. And they asked him, how many times have you seen that movie? Was, oh, man, I've seen it more times than you can count, man. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, his dumbass could not recognize the fact that this hand scanner that he supposedly procured from some secret whatever was really just, you know, I, I mean, know. exactly, it was the exact same thing as... <laughs> it literally <laughs> is the exact same thing. thing. And that, that's why I said, I don't really know if that helps his credibility it or not. That, we, that can be thrown out. That, that hurts his credibility. Now, do... I mean... Could the government at top secret sites use this type of technology? It's yeah, possible. I'm sure they did. You know, and there's also there also is a whole other theory that Steven Spielberg had access to secret government files during the creation of the movie to make it accurate. But, but honestly, when you think of top secret shit, and when you think about top secret government shit, you can pretty much hypothetically think that oh, they probably have some high technology security shit. It's, it's not that hard to really think about that stuff. Exactly. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, if you really tried hard enough, you can probably make up in your own mind some type of hand scanner. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. I mean, that that gets more attention than it should, but it's also silly that our friend Corbell decided that, that he didn't recognize it from the movie, but it was... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The documentary, it gives you a lot of information, but at the same time, you, you watch it, and it's like he's trying to make this unbiased documentary, and that the heat. It could have been so much. It could have been. A I lot. mean, it's pretty good. You guys should check it out. It's called Bob Lazar Area Fifty One Flying Saucers. It, it's it's pretty informative. It's I informative, like. but it's also silly. At one point, he's getting text messages, and his dates popping up on the messages, and it doesn't match the date that <laughs> is listed on his phone. It, I don't know. It's a silly. So, I mean, it's uh, a good. It's a good documentary. So, but. what else helps his credibility? What uh, I mean, there's really nothing really nothing out there well a lot of people and we can't i i'm never going to point to this a lot of people are like oh well, when you listen to him talk he's so compelling that doesn't mean anything that means nothing hitler was very compelling but that that leads into the thought process of the gullibility is people will use yes. that they'll, they'll use that as evidence to see like oh well he just can't be lying and it's like really facts don't care about your feelings yeah and that's a big part of and I guess it's a good that's a minx bobbles are a good topic to discuss for the thought process is you can't just look at somebody and listen and be oh well that sounds really good so it must be true exactly. and a lot of people do that you'd be surprised how how quickly people will jump to that conclusion oh well it sounds good oh it happens all the time in politics 
It happens all over the place. That, that can be a whole new discussion. Oh, right it just there. it just sounds so good, and he does. He sounds incredible. He sounds like he knows what the hell he's talking about. Oh, and, and, he, and he keeps his story up. It's so oh, consistent. He definitely he he's definitely right on. He can sell. I mean, he sells this really well, very well. But at the same time, anybody can sell anything. It's up to us to really think about if it's something that we care about to do the research behind it and really try to put the pieces together because no, a lot of people don't think he's credible. A lot of people would rather say that he's just a pathological liar, which I mean, I mean, there's a lot of evidence for that as well. There is a lot of, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I kind of think a lack of evidence is evidence. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there, a lot of his claims just, they don't add up. And maybe this guy's history was erased. We don't know, but, it doesn't matter. There's there's no evidence of a lot of the shit that he can Yeah, exactly. And the one thing that we need to get into, because this is where it takes what I think is the funniest term, is what was the date that I had down? I had the date down. had the date down. When did he get? Oh, 1990. So this was, he made his claims. He first came public with his UFO claims in 89. So in 1990, Mr. Lazargus arrested in the Nevada area for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. <laughs> Essentially, the story behind this is he, basically, he he hired a, a prostitute to kind of work for him. And his yeah. the deal is he was going to handle the business end, and she, I mean, he was basically being a pimp. I mean, without the, without the hardcore drugs, he was going to, he was like a nerdy pimp, is what he decided to get into. Yeah, and, and there's records of him trying to get trying to build up his own little brothel, basically. Yeah, this this charge was reduced um, to felony pandering. But still, but, uh, and he, <laughs> he he had to do 150 hours of community service, and he was told to stay away from brothels. But think about this: this, this guy went on trial, and they tried to throw the book at him for essentially being a pimp after he comes out with his UFO claims. What a what a. It's what just a total it's, 360. It's here. a bizarre twist and turn. <laughs> he goes from super working on these crazy, out of this, uh, literally out of this world science to within a year trying to start his own brothel. And according to the records, he got this apartment. Uh, I don't know, was it in the Las Vegas area? It was in Nevada somewhere. Yeah. And within a week, he was trying to turn it into a brothel. <laughs> and he had one and, hooker working for him, and he was trying to get more. And supposedly he was just doing the, uh, he was just doing the books. Yeah, sure. But still, it... Okay, Lazar. You, you slide dog. It's you. hilarious, but we do get some important... From the trial, and what, what's crazy about it is in the trial, he keeps his story to a T. He still claimed that he went to MIT in, in Caltech, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he, he kept every All his claims, he, he kept it all to a T during he the kept, trial. He, he, he claimed his degrees, he gave his employment record, and then when the... Investigators went to verify some of this. They couldn't find the records. And it was just like, who the hell is this guy? We have this pimp here who's making up all the shit about his life. (laughs) And we can't verify any of it. And this is at a point where he didn't want to go to jail. He did he and even his attorney said that he was really afraid of going to jail and getting locked up for this. But at this point, if he was really afraid of that, is it time to drop the lie, Bob? And Stop with your story when you're under oath and you're talking about 
That, that, I Possible mean, jail time. That, possibly some... That's a big risk. There's felony charges. Yeah. That I mean, can, that's a that big can risk. give you a year in prison. Yeah. So, he stuck to his story when he was under oath for being a pimp. <laughs> and that's where, I mean, he goes from the jet engines in his car to Los Alamos, to all these degrees. His photo processing business, bankrupts, plus, I mean, that might be why he started the... Because he couldn't, I mean, yeah. you're bankrupt, that, you can't take out maybe a business he got, so Maybe he got very desperate and he needed uh, he needed some quick money. If you have bankruptcy on your record, maybe maybe it was just an easy way. Because I mean, I don't think any, he was going to prostitute himself. He probably wouldn't have done very well. No, probably not in that market. But um, I mean, I guess that was, that was a means to an end. But yeah. still, and it, it, that's where it just it takes a funny turn. The whole prostitution thing. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty hilarious, honestly. And he obviously doesn't want people talking this, about that. But. If you ever look up pictures of this guy, he looks like the complete opposite of a pimp. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he just looks like a nerd. He looks the part of a physicist. He definitely does. And he, he talks the part and acts the part. Now, the one thing a lot of people will bring up, a lot of so-called physicists will say that, oh, his science is just way, way, way off. He doesn't think how physicists would think. Which, I mean, I can understand that, but at the same time, somebody, if, if his claims are true... He's operating at a different level of and physics that is not relatable to anything that we're doing. Today. And he's, if his claims are true, like you said, he's seen technology that no one has ever seen before. Yeah. So other physicists wouldn't understand what the hell he's saying. And other physicists were probably throughout this project and using conventional, the yep. conventional thought process that is taught these days didn't produce the results. I mean, somebody that thought a little bit differently. So that I mean the whole people challenging a science I don't I don't want to say that I'm just going to immediately dismiss that but yeah we're dealing with some ridiculous out of this I mean if his claims are true there, we can't comprehend what he was dealing with we can't comprehend what he was talking about and you know it would be like in in a second here we're going to get into what he's doing now and even what he's doing now takes a lot of takes a lot of brain. It takes, takes, a, little, takes a lot. I mean, it's mostly sales, but still. No, but what, what he's doing. So well, let's, let's talk about that real quick. Right. So what, what is Bob Lazar doing now? So Lazar now lives in Michigan. And uh, he lives in Michigan. And he runs his own business called United Nuclear Scientific Equipment and Supplies. And uh, they sell a variety of materials, including radiation sensors, radioactive ores, non-radioactive elements, powerful magnets, and other scientific equipment, as well as a variety of lab chemicals. And, um, you know, it, the, the, uh, the legal issues didn't really end in 1990 with Lazar. In 2006, him and his new wife, Joy White, were... Um, Who he's still married to, by the way. He, yeah, he's, he's still married to. Uh, they were charged with violating the, the Federal Hazardous Substances Act, uh, for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. And that didn't end there. In 2007, United Nuclear was fined 7500 for violating a law prohibiting the sale of chemicals and components to make illegal fireworks. And Which, uh, we, we're going to get... <laughs> to, talk about the, the, the Desert Blast fireworks real quick. Yeah, Pat. Um, he... <laughs> since 1987... The other thing that he's known for is, and I had some details about this. I don't know where <laughs> they ended up. But he's been doing this in the Mojave Desert or somewhere out 
the southwest. Him and his friend, I forget. Him what and his, I forget his friend's name. Him and his friend have been doing this. Uh, they call it Desert Blast. It's a pyrotechnic festival where basically they just blow shit up in the <laughs> desert for a weekend or whatever. And this has been going on since 1987. It's one of the more, um, one of his bigger. I mean, it's a decently sized. Dude, we should go. Thing. Yeah, we should. We should do. We, we should get go shut down. Yeah, we should definitely go. We should definitely do that. That'd be sweet. Yeah, and uh, but he definitely he loves to blow shit up. He loves his jet engines, and he doesn't really he doesn't really follow the rules when it comes to transporting. No, he doesn't. But he's he, someone. I mean, there's this United Nuclear. You listen to these guys that work there; they talk about it. And it was raided by the FBI supposedly a couple times. A couple times. Yeah. Now Bob claims that the raids were more in tune with his um, his stances on UFOs and the like. But either way, he keeps getting into a little just like stupid trouble. Stupid shit, man. I mean, he doesn't. He's not on, very Bob. good. I mean, he's not very good at keeping a low profile that he claims to be keeping. Come on now, Bob. All right, so, so, and you know, real quick, you know, in uh, what we said earlier is he doesn't really like talking about this stuff anymore. You really got to pull teeth to to get him to do the to to talk about, you know what he saw at S4 and yada, yada, yada. Because, you know, since Lazar came forward with these claims, he hasn't necessarily received a lot of support from the public. In fact, he's been highly criticized and received death threats. And he's he, he, and he claims he's been shot at. You know. Which, that's the other thing. And he claims, he claims that he came forward publicly um, and came forward, what's the word, non-anonymously? Yeah. Is that the word I'm going for? I don't know what the hell that was. Oh, the old text messages. Oh, boy. Shit. Anyways, um... He claims that... Where was I going with this? He was shot. Oh, yeah, he claims that he was shot at... Excuse us. Um, He claims that he was shot at multiple times after he made his claims. Yeah, and... You know, the, the reason that he made these claims is... The reason uh, that he came public as Bob Lazar as opposed to Dennis or whatever. Yeah, it's because he felt like it was almost his, his duty to... To protect himself. To, yeah, to wanted to protect himself and to uh, tell the American people what their government is hiding from them. Correct. And uh, he felt like it would be a disservice to keep these secrets, you know, secret... And he felt that, you know, people really needed to know. And it hasn't really gone very well for him. <laughs> but at least, he, at least he's still alive. He, yeah, really, he, he really thought that he was going to get killed. And that that was going to silence his... Uh... Yeah, and uh, before... And, uh, you know, after he made these claims and everything, he, he claims again that, you know, the government... Is erased his history. You, know, you can't really find anything out about him. You know, he says he they they, um, they he erased all of his uh, education and work history. You can't even find out where in the hell he was born. Yeah, we can't find I his mean, birth certificate. You can't, can't find his birth certificate. Um, modern day Obama, basically, literally. And uh, yeah, so uh, what, what can we conclude from this guy? Well, is is he is he lying? Is he telling the truth? 
Uh, if he is, what else is the government keeping from us? Um, how do we, got, how, how do we feel about it? How I got a few questions that we should yeah. that'll help us. That'll help us get to the bottom of this. What do you What do you got? If he really made this whole thing up, if this is all a figment of his imagination, mm-hmm. why the hell would he do it? What the hell is the point of making this entire story up I and mean, coming public and getting George Knapp involved? And keeping it up for 30 years now, when he obviously doesn't enjoy this, or he supposedly doesn't enjoy this, I should say. You know, uh, maybe, maybe people thought a lot of promise for him in his life, and maybe he didn't meet those expectations. Yeah, I mean. So he wanted to, um... He wanted he wanted to be uh, what's the word? Recognized. He wanted to be recognized. Validated. He wanted validation. Yeah. He maybe he wanted to show people how smart he was. Maybe he wanted to uh, he wanted some notoriety. You know maybe maybe he made this whole thing up because he failed at life. But I mean, yeah, because there's no story. I mean, he he was terrible. He had a, wasn't good in high school. There's no way that high school career going to get you in the MIT. Yeah. He went to a junior college. We know we know that. He went to a junior college. Maybe and maybe he didn't do that well. Maybe maybe, maybe he had to do a film processing business and then he got married and then busted out of that even. Yeah, and then then, then he had to get into prostitution and shit. I mean so, even even I though mean, that was later, maybe he just wanted some notoriety. One explanation that he's a really good liar. There's a humongous narcissist, basically, is what we're saying. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can... I don't... I mean, I don't... I mean... It, 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 no, that makes sense, and that's not something I really consider, the whole narcissism aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But... I mean... He's a really... It's a really good lie. And it's that really... It's a very good lie. Well, I mean, it's not even like it's a good lie, because it's convincing, because there's a whole lot of things that he doesn't even believe are a good lie. But that's... Part of the story. I mean, that's what makes it so good, I guess. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good story. So, considering um, the other question I have is, we know that the government covers stuff up. I mean, that needs to be public knowledge. The government does not tell you what's really going on. Um, evidence we have of that are some even some of the classified governments that they've told us later, or the classified documents that the government has given us later, such as some of the stuff about MK Ultra. Yeah. Where they were kidnapping citizens and giving them LSD, among a whole lot of other awful things. Yeah. But lobotomies and whatever. Was, so, that, was that the experiment with the schizophrenic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. We have a whole, there's a whole myriad of these little things that they've done, and they're that have come out in the classified documents. So, the, the really thing that you can just trust your government. You can't. You can't. Because even the government doesn't even know. Because we have all these black budgets and the and CIA. There, and there's so many different levels of, of secrecy and classification and things like that. People, people can't talk to one another. They can't communicate with one another. It's a lot bigger. It's a lot less transparent. And it's a lot deeper than anybody really. Even some politicians don't, don't even know what's really going on. Yeah. And honestly... If you really dig into it, this is it's a kind of off subject, but if you really dig into it, the whole um, the whole hunt for Bin Laden wouldn't have even taken that long if it wasn't for that 
problem. The, yeah. the secrecy and classification of of different levels of government. So, I mean, we have evidence that the government's been making stuff up and has been keeping stuff under wraps. So, um, we can't really just dismiss Bob based on, oh, well, they wouldn't be keeping that secret from us. They wouldn't be keeping the alien technology secret. They'd be using it. No, they wouldn't. There's all sorts of secret tests and whatnot. So basically, the end question is, you know, what do you believe them, Pat? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was really hoping to come to a conclusion on that. Um, I want to believe him. Do I? I'm, I'm in the same boat, man. I mean, I, I really I, want to believe him. I want to believe this shit is true because it's, it's really interesting. Well, it's life is world-changing is what it is, if any of this is true. Right, but the thing is, is there's just not enough concrete evidence. Yeah. Until we until, need we need more. Until September twentieth, when we raid Area Fifty One. Yeah. We'll, we will know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But <laughs> um, and again, I mean, nobody else has come forward to really verify this. Verify what Bob claims. Bob really thought that his partner in the documentary you mentioned that he really thought that his partner. Is going to come forward. Well, his partner's probably scared. Well, they're probably all threatened because if, if this is real, they're probably all threatened beyond belief. I mean, honestly, this is... Honestly, to me, these are huge claims. Huge. They're They're, they're, they're world-changing. I, I feel like if this was true, this man would be dead. Honestly. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Would they, this guy still be walking around but then again, talking if, about but this shit? If he died under, under mysterious circumstances, as public as he is... That is true. I mean, it's like what we had today with Epstein killing himself. Yeah, he did not Did he, kill did he really himself. kill himself? No. But that's didn't. a whole other... Hillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> he... he, did, he she, she definitely got him taken out, for sure. Well, there's definitely something fishy. He could have killed himself, but there was no way that... He should have been allowed to. Well, Somebody obviously the guards were paid off. Yes, they were supposed. They were supposed to the psychiatric evaluators who cleared him to be off a of suicide watch. Bullshit. That, he tried killing himself. What a couple of days ago? A few weeks ago. Yeah. A couple, yeah, a few weeks ago. Bullshit. So there's they were supposed to we, check up on him like every half hour. We just got off topic big time. That's but okay. Still, I mean that's that's such an atrocity that I was allowed to happen. But then it goes to show too how. Such a high-profile, big-time thing can just flop. Yep. And we don't know why. All we know is that justice is not going to get done as it should. Yeah. And uh, in that case, but so I mean, it relates to the government is so it's kind of fucked up if you think about it. I mean, it's really fucked up. We've 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 uh, it just keeps getting worse. We're a far reach away from what the founding fathers really wanted it to be. For sure. Yeah. Uh, a government. Because um, nobody can owned, seem to do owned by and for the people. Uh, that's really that's we're really uh, far away from that at this point. Nobody can seem to do anything right these days. Literally. So, so for the conclusion, I kind of hope Bob's claims are true because that means that yeah, I, maybe in a few years the aliens will come and take over and it'll be a little bit better than it is now. Yeah. You know? Shit. I mean, but can we? Can we? Based on this, we can't. Based on the evidence that we have and the lack of evidence that we don't have, 
we you really can't crawl you you really can't call a conclusion to this. Yeah. Um for me, uh like I said, I wanna believe him, but at this point I don't. When you listen to him, yeah, as we said, he is compelling. You want you want to believe that type of thing. And I believe I the other thing that was brought up to me before we end this is um my brother mentioned a thought on Bob. He's done a little bit of research himself. I was trying to get him on the show today, but he he wasn't interested for some reason, which was kind of a bummer. We're going to have to get him on the show in the future, but he didn't feel like he wanted to talk about this. But anyways, his theory is that um, Bob was definitely working there. And the one thing that is interesting is he some of the details that he has are verified. Mm-hmm. Some of the details, not, not necessarily about S4, because we can't really verify that that place exists. We think it exists, but we can't verify that. Well, even, even when Area 51 is declassified, there was no mention of S4. Yeah. But the, some of the recruitment process was verified as recruitment process that's used by the CIA and the government. Yeah, for sure. To do stuff like this from other people that have worked on different projects before. They've all verified that they've gone through this EG&G company. And it's able to name a recruiter for that, which is interesting. We need to add those. I forgot about the recruiting part. But that's another interesting aspect of this discussion that we... Um, I mean, he has some details that match up. Not, a lot of them don't. But my brother's theory is that he was definitely working there, and he had all these details because he was working there, but he was working on a top-secret military project of terrestrial origin and got in trouble, and the solution to save his life was to come out with this crazy conspiracy theory about the aliens because he was at the point where they thought he was going to divulge top military secrets of terrestrial nature, meaning new technology the military actually discovered or whatnot. And he fucked up somewhere along the line and got in trouble. And part of his punishment was to be a disinformation act. But the government put him up to this. You know, that's that's pretty interesting. That's a, that's a, that's that's a, that's a pretty a good theory. It's a thought. That's a good theory. I like because it. Because a lot of it... And that would, that would explain his, his records being wiped. Yeah. That would explain a lot of it if the government was helping him keep the story going. But mm-hmm. it also explain why he's still alive if... Yeah, true. I mean, but that's a that's a thought. Well, guys, um, we're gonna wrap this up. I really appreciate. Well, we really appreciate you guys tuning in, and I hope you guys enjoyed our very first episode of the thought process. And uh, let us know what you guys think um, at our YouTube channel. Yada yada yada. So uh, thank you guys. This yeah. was fun. This was a good discussion, man. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Well, till next time, we are the thought process, and we're gonna go back to thinking. <laughs>